Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and and on on earth earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpass the merits and the desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads, and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Let me sing to my friend the song of his love for his vineyard. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted choice vines in it. In the middle he built a tower, he dug a press there too. He expected it to yield grapes, but sour grapes were all that it gave. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, I ask you to judge between my vineyard and me. What could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done? I expected it to yield grapes. Why did it yield sour grapes instead? Very well, I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge for it to be grazed on, and knock down its wall for it to be trampled on. I will lay it waste, unpruned, undug, overgrown by the barrier and the thorn. I will command the clouds to rain no rain on it. Yes, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah that chosen plant. He expected justice, but found bloodshed, integrity, but only a cry of distress. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. You brought a vine out of Egypt. To plant it you drove out the nations. It stretched out its branches to the sea. To the great river it stretched out its shoot. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Then why have you broken down its walls? It is plucked by all who pass by. It is ravaged by the boar of the forest, devoured by the beasts of the field. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. God of hosts, turn again, we implore. Look down from heaven and see. Visit this vine and protect it. The vine your right hand has planted. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And we shall never forsake you again. Give us life that we may call upon your name. God of hosts, bring us back. Let your face shine on us, and we shall be saved. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. There is no need to worry, but if there is anything you need, pray for it, asking God for it with prayer and thanksgiving. And that peace of God, which is so much greater than we can understand, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, fill your minds with everything that is true, everything that is noble, everything that is good and pure, everything that we love and honour, and everything that can be thought virtuous or worthy of praise. Keep doing all the things that you have learnt from me and have been taught by me and have heard or seen that I do. Then the God of peace will be with you. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. I call you friends, says the Lord, because I have made known to you everything I have learnt from my Father. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Listen to another parable. There was a man, a landowner, who planted a vineyard. He fenced it round, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went abroad. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his servants, thrashed one, killed another, and stoned a third. Next, He sent some more servants, this time a larger number, and they dealt with them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come on, let us kill him and take over his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They answered, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will deliver the produce to him when the season arrives. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, It was the stone rejected by the builders that became the keystone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see? I tell you then, that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this 
parable teaches us a couple of important lessons. Um, Firstly, how God deals with us. Um, And then secondly, you know, some of the dangers in the way in which we respond to him. So what I'd like to do is divide the homily today into two parts. So first off, what can we learn about how God deals with us? What is Jesus showing us? Well, first off, the vineyard is called to be productive. It's not just there for its own sake. It's there to bear fruit. It's for the purpose of protecting the fruitfulness of the vineyard that the landowner builds a fence, right? And when we translate those two elements of the parable to apply to Israel, we can see that, you know, God didn't simply gather his people together for their own sake, but that they were called to be fruitful. And the fence around the vineyard is an image of the protection that God gave to Israel in order to safeguard the fruit which they were called to bear for the rest of the world. We then see that a tower is placed in the vineyard in order to see and to stave off the external threats and to stop the vineyard from being overrun and become wild and, you know, go back to being uncultivated land. The covenant which God has established and the law which he'd given to Moses was there to protect Israel from becoming like all the other nations. Israel was called to be a light, a beacon to the world, a sign to attract all peoples to itself and to the worship of the one true God. So, you know, we can see that Israel, called to be fruitful, to stand out from the rest of the world, not merely for its own sake, but for the sake of the world. And then our Lord tells us that there was a wine press that was dug into the vineyard. That the fruit of the vineyard was not merely a bland grape, but an intoxicating wine. A symbol of the joy that's found in worshipping the one true God and drinking in his inebriating presence. So with the vineyard established, the owner entrusts it to tenants. So this mission of Israel is given over to the people and to their leaders in particular. This is how God works, right? He asks his people to be co-workers. They're not just puppets or robots who work slavishly according to his strict command. He entrusts the vineyard, the fence, the tower, the winepress to his tenants. And he asks them to work freely with him according to his plan, to be fruitful. Now, before we consider the response of the tenants, we first need to acknowledge that this is indeed how God works with us. The church is the new Israel. It's called to be the lumen gentium, the light to the nations, the beacon to the world, to attract all to the intoxicating joy of communion with God. And he entrusts this great mission to us so that we would work alongside him and be drawn as his co-workers into this great plan of establishing God's family on the earth. So the upshot's clear, that just as the vineyard was established to be fruitful and was protected by God in order to accomplish its mission, in this we get a glimpse of how God works with humanity and consequently how he works with you and me. With great love, He creates the conditions for fruitfulness. He gives us the vineyards, our gifts, our talents. If you like, he gives us a fence, a tower, the protection and sustenance to continue the work. 
and he gives us the freedom to respond to this great invitation to be his co-workers. But like the vineyard, the gifts that God has given us and the loving care with which he sustains us are not just for our own sake and our own enjoyment, it's for others. God entrusts to me an intellect, a will, and freedom and time to use them so that we would bear fruit also for others, that we'd accomplish the mission given to us by God. So that's the first point, I think. God entrusts us with the vineyard not merely for our sake, but so that we might be fruitful, so that everything that God has placed in our hands is not simply for us and for our enjoyment, but for others. But that now asks us to reflect on our own response. And what's the danger in how we respond to this action of God? Those who have the vineyard entrusted to them behave as if they were the owners of the vineyard, as opposed to being its tenants. You can sense a kind of strong resentment among the tenants at the fact of not being the owners. And so they rebel against their landowner in the effort to become their own masters. I mean, they say themselves, look, if we kill the son, then this place is ours. But here's the thing. The landowner seeks to put the relationship aright by sending his servants. And then finally, you know, the highest expression of his love, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he says. Now, this is something entirely new. God loves his people so completely that he sends his only begotten son. This becomes the greatest sign of God's love and care for his people. For having given his son, he's given everything he has to give. But the appearance of the son doesn't convince the tenants of the love of the landowner. Instead, they think, well, here's the heir. Come, let's kill him and we'll grab his inheritance. Killing the son is the final ploy to become the masters of the vineyard by rejecting its rightful owner. And the act of killing the son and heir to the vineyard is intended to be the final act of taking the vineyard from the hands of the landowner. We can see this dynamic at play throughout the history of Israel. But let's face it, we can also see this dynamic at play within the flawed heart of humanity. We've all been gifted our life. Each moment of our existence is given to us as a free gift. And in this sense, we can't say that we're masters of our lives because it's something that's been entrusted to us by God. We're the tenants of what he's given to us. So, are we to understand our reality of being tenants, our constant dependence upon God as something which offends our dignity? Are we like the tenants of the parable who think that they must be masters of the vineyard and so rebel against the owner? This dynamic strikes at the heart of sinful humanity. From Adam and Eve onwards, we are suspicious of God. The tenants believe their dependence upon the owner to be humiliating, so they kill the son, seeking to become the heirs. But the tragedy of the situation is that they haven't recognised the love of the landowner. 
He entrusted the vineyard to them. He gave them protection and the honour of sharing in his work. Our suspicion of God is that our dependence upon him is humiliating. And that we cannot truly flourish while he's hovering over us. Or, as you know, the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre once said, if God exists, then man is not free. The human suspicion of God is based on the same sad misunderstanding of the tenants. I cannot be free if I cannot be the owner. But if God truly loves me, and instead of dominating me as I suspect, he seeks the full flourishing of my life, but what happens then? What if God entrusts my life into my own hands, not for what he can get out of it himself, but so that I could respond to him and encounter there the satisfaction of my deepest longings? We can see that when things go wrong in the vineyard, the landowner sends his own son to put things right. The tenants kill him in order to receive the inheritance. But what's revealed in Christ's own suffering and death is that the son has come in order to raise humanity to the dignity of being the sons and daughters of the father. He's come, brace yourself, he's come to make them co-heirs with him. To make us sons and daughters, ones who belong in the vineyard, not simply as workers, but as family. God isn't content with us being merely his creatures or his servants. He loves us so much that in Christ he makes us his sons and daughters. He bestows on us the inheritance of eternal life. Our dependence upon God is not humiliating because God loves us. He does not objectify and use us for his own ends. Instead, he draws us into his work and bestows on us the dignity of being his co-workers. But more than this, though, through his son, Jesus, he bestows on us the dignity of divine sonship. And we're made co-heirs with Christ. And so... We need not be suspicious of God, nor resent the fact that we're not owners of the vineyard. To seek the full flourishing of our life, we don't need to rebel against God and seek to become the owners of the vineyard. No, we need to embrace the Son, and in that way, be drawn into the family and become co-heirs with him. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the the Father Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. 
At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father. Amen.